Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to Energy Speaks Back. My name is Paul Webb. I'm the founder of B2B Energy, and I'm also your host. We'd like to thank our sponsors today, B2B Energy and Clean Energy Revolution. And if you want to know more about Clean Energy Revolution, please go on to any social media and type hashtag Clean Energy Revolution. Energy Speaks Back interviews energy experts from around the world. Welcome to our summer series and episode 40 of Energy Speaks Back. We would like to thank Esther Energy today for joining us as our partners. With me, I present to you experts from around the world. And today we are in Denver, USA. Our purpose as always is to provide a good understanding of energy management knowledge from around the world, which is available today for us to deliver savings that impact on our planet. My guest today specializes in business process outsourcing regarding solar permits and engineering. So without any further ado, I give you Anthony Gian Francesco. Good afternoon, Anthony. How are you today? Good morning, Paul. I'm doing well. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it's good morning to you, Anthony. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Um, so, Anthony, um, we've met through our social media networks, but we've had quite a few one-to-ones and we've had many a chat about football and sport because both our teams, different sports, but we both wear the same colors. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Claret yeah, and blue. Rapids out here in Colorado. I've actually seen a few West Ham fans, a couple of, uh, what is it, the, the Hammers? Is hammers, it two Hammers? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a couple of Hammer tattoos out here uh, and people supporting the Rapids. We're in West right. Ham, like you can't really tell. If we was in England now, they say that they're the, so they're the two supporters. That's what they'd be saying now. So, Anthony, um, what's, what's the weather currently at the moment? We've got a beautiful day in England. Um, just like most days in Colorado, it's um, it's really sunny. Um, I guess we've been having a really rainy season. Um, Colorado is a higher altitude place. Less, uh, it's great for solar because there's less air mass. Uh, so the sun rays don't get deflected as much. And so you get a little bit more sun exposure out here. You also burn a little bit more easy if, you, uh, if you're white-skinned like me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's getting a little hotter now. A lot of green out there because there's been a lot of water. Um, right. It's not drought like it is in California right now. Brilliant. I think we're stealing all the rain. You're stealing all the rain? I think, I think so. It's got to go somewhere, uh, right? No, <laughs> we've, been, we've been having some serious rain recently. So um yeah i i think it's across the world as well so anthony we've met as i say we've had quite a few zoom calls and we've, we're part of the the clean energy revolution group and we so we do exchange quite a lot of um, information so i've learned a lot about you over the, the last 12 months so for the benefit of our listeners today it'd be great to hear your background story and you know what brings you to the energy sector yeah, um, I was born in a small village in Moldova. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, we can go back to uh, where I learned about solar cells. You go cells back to most. where you need to go back to. <laughs> we've we've got plenty of time. We can always yeah. edit it afterwards. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so I started uh, my soiree into PV modules when I was doing uh, a research internship um, at the National Institu- Institute of Standards and Technology in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Um, I was working on a project where we're putting these things called quantum dots on solar cells to see 
how we can make those quantum dots interact with the solar cell surface. Basically a quantum dot is something that's like 10 nanometers big. And we were trying to excite individual quantum dots to image the surface of a solar cell to see um, solar cell grains. So if you look at a polycrystalline silicon cell up close, it's like a bunch of chunks together. Right. Um, those quantum dots were much smaller than those chunks. And so what we were trying to do was examine those polycrystalline silicon chunks to see if we could understand more. It was a novel measurement method at the time, really cool project. And then I also was working on cadmium telluride cells. Uh, a lot, the most of the industry right now is polycrystalline silicon. There is one company, maybe more, but one bigger company called First Solar in the United States that does cadmium telluride cells. Um, and so I did some research on those and it was really cool stuff. Then I went off to grad school um, to do more stuff in material science, physics, electron microscopy, uh, looking <laughs> even smaller than nanometers um, at the surfaces and structures. So I was doing some research on oxides, um, novel oxide materials. And so um, if you look at the current research, perovskite crystal class is the new type of solar cell that is trying to come out. And I was working on that similar structure, a couple of other structures too, um, but really just trying to look at how do the atoms come together, make electricity? How do they talk to each other? What do they say? How do they say it? Um, is it a lot of middle fingers or is it a lot of like handshakes kind of thing? Um, mm -hmm. And how far they interact. But yeah, it was a lot of really nerdy science stuff, a lot of really cool million, million dollar tools unique to our lab. Um, really, really cool stuff. Uh, but Eventually, I kind of decided I wanted to make a little bit of a different impact on the world, and, and I quit that program and took a job as a designer at Sunrun. I uh, worked there for five years, um, was laid off due to COVID, and pivoted into um, doing something very similar by job role, um, managing an outsource relationship with solar companies to the contractors they work with. Um, the solar industry is really interesting because you can do whatever you want in it. If you just want to sell solar, you can just sell solar and have somebody build it and finance it and do everything else. If you just like doing the designs, you can just do the designs. You find somebody to sell systems for you, do the designs and find somebody to build it, or you can just build it. Um, that's how a lot of smaller roofing companies are getting into it right now. They use their expertise of putting shingles on a roof to saying, we put shingles on the roof and we make sure roofs don't leak. Why don't we just put those solar panels on too and then yeah. make sure the solar panels don't leak as well. Um, and then they probably need help with some sales, but if you're doing roofing, you already have a successful business. How hard would it be to say, how about we slap some solar on there as well today? Um, we're already doing the re-roof anyways. We'll make sure it's done really right, really well. Somebody you trust. Um, and so that's what I've been seeing a lot with the solar industry recently is a lot of new players coming in um from different industries because the right. the skills are are very transferable yeah but yeah so that's where i'm that's where i am today is uh helping companies with their outsourcing uh helping those relationships get better closer uh more exact defining those relationships better um keeping people accountable in fact my company has uh five values that i hold near and dear to me tell me um are we talking commercial or are we talking residential regarding this solar are we yeah when i yeah i'm talking about residential that's where 
all of my experiences right now. Um, I have been working since I was laid off last year. I've been working on commercial projects here and there, helping people out. Uh, but when it comes to the big scale, big volume stuff, it's it's mostly residential. Um, the residential industry is really unique because everybody's trying to get lower cost as quickly as possible, lower cost and faster turnarounds. Because yeah. these, some people think the only way you can make money in the residential industry is by doing things really quickly in a large scale. I don't necessarily think that's the truth. Um, and I think that some people have a, a warped view of the industry. Um, and I think they put a lot of that pressure on the customer to kind of like pay what they want to make. Um, yeah. But maybe I'll leave it at that because that probably is going to be a controversial topic. Let's go back to when you was doing your yeah. research and the analysis there because sure. I'm intrigued to why we was looking at all these different materials regarding the and how they worked. What was the end game there? What was, what were, they, what were we trying to achieve? When I was working on those materials that really didn't do anything, um, we were funded by something called a basic energy science grant or something along that lines. And really it, to some degree, and it's, for those people I worked with, I apologize if you're watching this, but it's basically science for the sake of doing science. Um, you never know what you're going to discover. And right. so in the lab, we were blasting a crystal plate, a plate full of powder or a solid with a laser. And then that laser would explode that target. And then um, we would have a substrate up here. And then basically you would blast material onto a substrate, hoping it sticks hoping you put the right oxygen content, hoping it's at the right pressure. Um, and then eventually a crystal will form. Right. A lot of the times we were making crystals that were really <laughs> a bunch of stuff stuck together. Um, but other times when we had the right chemistry and the right composition and pressure, we'd have a crystal. Once you get a crystal, then you can start looking at how the electrons interact with those uh, atoms that are in the crystal. So if you look at a perovskite structure, uh, you've got three or four different atoms in there. Um, some of the atoms are really simple um, because they're smaller, you know, SPDF shells going back to chemistry in high school. Um, when you get to those D and F orbitals, um, those electrons start to grab people like next nearest neighbors and next, next, next nearest neighbors. And they start interacting on a scale that modern computers really don't understand. So um, you really start to reach your limit of understanding very quickly. So you have people who study the theory and then you have people who do the experiments and bringing those two things together is near impossible uh, because the current techniques and, and the methods that were developed, like when you go to grad school and you look at all the equations, um, it's like it would take the, with our current computational power, it would take the length, the time of the universe to complete some of these equations. Right. Um, the group that I was working, the group I was working in was doing some stuff with uh, data analysis and new novel methods to look at the data um, that summarized things quickly on a local scale to try to uh, generalize it for the whole system, if that makes sense. So just doing the calculations in a different way to try to try to overcome our computational limitations of our time. Yeah. So being a non-academic in this in this industry, what we're talking about here, are you trying to find new materials that are more yeah, cost-effective? Exactly. Um, no, it's just new materials because we don't understand how a lot of this stuff works. Right, it exists, but 
the, it exists and we can reproduce it in a lab, but we still don't understand it. And so the idea is to make new things, hoping that we can get more data and bring that data together. The idea is to figure out new crystals to create because we don't know what they can do. They'll probably never exist in the real world. They'll probably, I don't know, I always joked, and this is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to leave um, the field was because I thought that maybe in a thousand years, some some paper I wrote or got published on would be like a toy for a child in like a thousand or 2000 years or something like that. Um, you really don't know, or it could be a deadly device. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it happened with Einstein, right? Um, but yeah, you really don't know what your effect is. You're you're just creating the science and creating new knowledge um, whenever you can, however you can, with the expertise, the knowledge, the tools you have today. And I, we need that type of research. We need those type of people out there just investigating and finding new things because they're new, because they don't exist, because somebody said they were impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, there is great value in having that. Um, it's just not as flashy as an electric car. It's not as flashy as a solar cell producing energy. It's not as flashy as saving $50 to $100 on your energy bill each month. Yeah. So based on your knowledge of, of your past, do you, do you and then bringing that into the, the future, do you think there's changes that we're going to be witnessing long-term with solar? Has solar got a shelf life? Is it going to be made better in different ways? Yeah, I... I can't really answer that at the moment. I think that there are things like superconductors that we've been chasing for 80 years. Is it 80 years? 70 years now? 60, 70 years. Um, we've made we make small progress in that year over year, but nothing really tangible. You always see articles every now and then that say, "Oh, this could be it. This could be it." But it's always could be. It never. This isn't. Yeah. Uh, I think so solar it- cells are great are a great thing for now. I mean, they, they do what we need them to do right now. I don't know if they'll be there forever. Um, it's just a magical crystal that makes electricity when the sun excites it. And that's pretty much, yeah, it's, it's basically a magical crystal that we luckily found, um, luckily created. And I just don't, I, I think that we'll have something more complicated coming soon. Yeah. I don't know soon, so, but something so one day in the near future, we could find someone's created a paint where we can, Paint the building. Yeah, in I, the, 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 I personally think that solar is such a. It seems like pre, it's almost seems prehistoric. It's like a. It's like stone tools, you know. It's just a basic crystal that produces energy, and I think that there are ways that we can make it fancier, cooler, smarter, um, more efficient, and it all exists. It's just you can't beat the price of polycrystalline silicon. You can't mm. beat the infrastructure we've built for it. Um, the manufacturing techniques, um, it's all kind of just making it the king. The How can we make it more industry. sustainable regarding, you know, when it's gone past its um, life cycle? How can we make it more renewable in that format? Because I hear a lot of stories about it's not sustainable going forward. How do we get rid yeah. of it when it's, when it's failed? I think there's a company in Australia or the Australian, something with Australia and recycling, I recently saw in the news. Um, they're starting a, a huge program on recycling these solar panels. Right now, it's just so cheap to make them that refabricating them doesn't really make sense because it's just yeah. cheaper to make new. It's like plastic almost. Yeah. Um, there's enough sand on the earth to make, you know, that's how silicon solar cells are basically made is sand silica. 
Um, that's one of the key ingredients, and we have enough of that on the earth. The precious metals, on the other hand, are harder to find, create, can run into some ethical issues with that. Um, but I think to make them more sustainable, it's really more about making sure we have a recycling program, giving some sort of incentive to even recycle them in the first place. Um, and interestingly enough, I'm going to be hosting an event soon. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to get published, but I'll be hosting an event soon uh, with someone in the United States who works for a uh, refabrication company in the United States, uh, and they're going to be presenting a topic uh, in another group that in a networking group that I run. Right. Um, and that'll be really cool. I'll probably learn a lot from that on this exact question. So what are the challenges at the moment regarding solar on on rooftops in the yeah. domestic world? I think that a lot of people see it as ugly. Um, I think if um, personally, and I know I'm like shooting myself in the foot, but I think personally, if you're the only house in the neighborhood with solar on your roof, um, it does kind of look ugly. It starts to look better when it's a more conformed thing and you have yeah. more people on your block with it. That's my personal opinion. Um, yeah. I know some people scream at me saying, no, they're the most beautiful thing on the earth. Uh, you know, that's your opinion. I think the solar tiles are going to help fix that. Um, yeah, I think that in addition to those two things, from what I've been hearing from people, um, I think people don't really understand the solar process in totality. I think that they rely on salespeople coming to their door uh, to give them the information. And it's always whatever information helps close the deal. And it's not the information to teach them and educate them about solar. There mm -hmm. are a lot of people out there that agree with me. There's a lot of solar YouTube channels out there. I'm thinking of making my own as well. Um, just hopefully adding a lot more jokes in to keep people entertained because it can be boring. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the education piece and knowing the process of solar, being educated on what it takes, being educated on the local laws. Um, it's to me, it's not difficult, but that's because I do this every day. Uh, I think that that is possibly the biggest limitation. People don't know what the materials cost. They don't know where to buy the materials. It just seems like a black box. Somebody comes to your door and gives you a, a PPA where you, pay per amp of production and you're just like okay that's cool i don't want to think about it um but i think that learning more before going into it would be a really good idea especially for individuals trying to go solar how far do you go regarding the tariffs in the uk we have a thing called feeding tariff how, how do you go far because in america i know each different state has the different you know we were talking to nico the other day on uh, on clubhouse I, it was going over my head a little bit regarding the different yeah. structures regarding um, how you fund it or as a user? Yeah, in uh, the United States, the government doesn't play, doesn't directly pay any role in that. Um, the utility, you negotiate a deal with your utility company. Your utility company provides you the power. Um, you have national grid, which is literally a national grid. Uh, yeah. The national grid in the United States, which is the same company as from what I've heard, they're yeah. only in New England and, and only in some parts of New England. Mm -hmm. um, and national grid, I think, acquired some utility companies and like represents them, but the utility company still operates as its own. It's a very, very messy system. But you work and you negotiate with your utility company to see what they want to pay you for energy going back on the grid. Uh, that infamous duck curve uh, where... There's no demand on the grid for noon because all the solar is giving into the grid. And then at five o'clock when the sun sets, 
and there's a massive surge of demands because all the solar goes offline. Um, yeah. I mean, that's something that the reason why those feed in tariffs exist. That's the reason why these rebates exist. Uh, that's why a lot of places like Hawaii are on zero export. You cannot export back onto the grid because there's so many solar houses in Hawaii because diesel's so uh, expensive. It was profitable for people in Hawaii to go solar a long time ago. Um, I think that those are the kinds of things that make the utilities a little sketchy on wanting to give you any money at all. It's so it's you get pennies. I did a something for the public utility of New Mexico for a person I was working with. And it's something like he has to pay 30 cents a kilowatt hour and then they'll give him like six cents back a kilowatt hour if he mm -hmm. feeds it in. And it's, it's almost nothing. It's almost that the, the fee to even apply for the program is two hundred and fifty dollars in over 20 years he was going to be generating like $320. And if he didn't go into that program, he'd pay $50. So it like just barely, it's just, it like doesn't, even. it's not worth it. It's totally, yeah, it's totally a crap system. The way people make their money on solar is from the federal tax incentives where you get uh, credit on your income tax. All the money you spent on solar, it gets deducted from your total income. The problem is if you're on retirement or you run your own business and you purposely don't have income because you're putting money into your business, it doesn't necessarily help you that much. Mm. Uh, and so you really just save money on the energy costs if you're in a place that charges a lot for energy, like California, unlike Texas, who doesn't really charge a lot for solar. I mean, for, for electricity. Taking it to the next level, we've got batteries. So do you get involved with batteries? Is batteries the, you know, you, you said that. Yeah, I mean, batteries are a huge component. Yeah, they, they, and that's exactly what you were just saying. Uh, they alleviate that massive spike in the duck curve. Uh, that is going to be the secret. I just don't know if we have enough lithium in the world to create enough batteries to alleviate it for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I think that we are going to run into a lot of issues with EVs on top of home battery systems. I think that's what's required. But when we go back to energy, I mean, science for science sake, that's a really good reason to why you want to see more research into different storage systems, into different chemistries for battery that don't rely on lithium. Um, it's just right now, lithium's really good at uh, donating and accepting electrons from its orbital shell. Uh, we're trying to find new technologies every day. Um, but research can be slow sometimes if there's not enough money in it. And um, how far advanced is batteries in, in the States at the moment? I don't have a great answer for you because I'm not staying on top there's of research anymore. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't even my really topic of research um, when I was in grad school. So all these solar projects you're doing at the moment, designing, et cetera, is there any associated battery uh, links with yeah. those? Is there a percentage yeah. that you could probably put in as a figure to say, well, 50%? Uh, maybe like 20 or 30% of what I see is batteries. Um, a lot of the DIY, the, the DIY people I work with right now, the people who build their own systems have not so far looked at batteries. If I ever talk to somebody about batteries, they're trying to completely go off grid. There's nobody that's kind of like in the middle there right now. Um, it's really just a matter of finding the right person. But right now it's either they want to completely go off grid from what I've seen, or they just want the PV system to offset the bill. Yeah. So this this week I'm um, broadcasting AJ 
Perkins, the um, microgrid. Do you get involved with microgrids? Uh, I have not. And I think that guy's doing some really cool stuff with his company. Um, I've been reading his white papers. I've definitely subscribed to his newsletter. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting stuff. I, I, I think that it's a great concept and I think it's going to help a lot of people generally speaking. I just don't know how they are fighting or working with utility companies right now. Mm. I think in general, the idea is incredible. Imagine if we could use our substations that we have all over the place in the United States as smart devices to exchange electricity between houses or have a supplementary solar plant just for that substation in that community. I think that that's a great idea. Um, unfortunately, what you see with solar in the United States, at least, is policy gets in the way. Public yeah. policy, um, utility companies fighting, lobbyists fighting. And so I know the largest solar companies out there right now are putting a ton of effort into fighting policies. Things like the... Um, the California net metering, the new net metering bill in California, you know, as we were talking about, it was going to hurt solar really bad. A lot of solar companies had to put their energy into fighting that bill because that was the threat. Now, instead of let's make a sustainable policy that grows with the new landscape of energy, like that doesn't happen. It's how do we fight the things now that are going to put us out of business so we can't even operate in 10 years. Mm. If solar companies lose California, you lose like, 30% of your business right now. What about um, ground systems? So uh, when you've got them all in the ground in, in fields, is there many of those in the, um, in the States? Um, in more rural areas, you have the space to do it. Uh, I'll be building one for a family friend. I'm not building it personally, but I'll be working with a family friend of mine personally in Rhode Island. Uh, right. He wants to put one up. But they're saying he has to have a fence around it. His his uh, local housing authority is saying he's got to have a fence around it with high voltage signs. And it's going to mm. make his art yard kind of look ugly. And I'm really upset about that because that's what you run into with HOAs, uh, housing authorities, um, is they will limit what you can and can't do for the reason of they just like it or they dislike it. So if you have a small house in a suburb, or any house in the suburb that's next to other people, you most likely won't put a ground mounted system in uh, because it just would look ugly or your HOA wouldn't like it. So you go on the rooftop. So usually those ground mount systems are reserved for people with more land. Maybe I'm going to throw a random number 20 acres or above. I don't know yeah. if that works for you. If that's an American. Yeah, name. it does. No, no, acres is good for me. And then um, obviously then you're relying on the connections, the availability of getting a connection back into the grid, um, which is then important. Unless you put yeah, it back yeah. building. Yeah, there's there's sort of ways around it, but yeah, eventually you have to deal with a utility company. And that's where the applications come in. That's where a lot of the paperwork comes in. And um, the idea is that you size it and then the utility company will give you credits that you can use later. So, you know, you're going to generate more electricity in the summer than in the winter. And you get credits in the summer that you can use in the winter to help offset. So the, the work you're carrying out, does it migrate across the globe? Are you doing other I'd like countries? it to. I'd yeah. like it to. Um, I'd like to work in Canada. Uh, I can't imagine electricity is much different anywhere around the world. However, I think that in I think that if I was to be working in other countries, it might be better suited to be working on bigger projects. 
Um, yeah, I think the legislation is is something I learned over my time as a designer for the United States. I can't imagine Canada being much different. Uh, but in the UK, I mean, I have no idea what what necessarily or Italy or uh, France, like what the local government looks like, what that structure looks like, who to call. Um, but I mean, that's definitely something I'd be willing to work with, willing to talk to about. I mean, I, I don't really say no to many things. Right. I, I, I've got a few names I can probably put you in contact with, obviously, in the UK. Yeah. Um, I, it's not on my it's not my expertise, um, Solar. I will recommend it. I don't get involved with the, the, the real detail on that side of it. I know that we, we rely on connections and I look at the return on investments and look at the existing profiles of, of buildings to, to um, implement that. Yeah. But that's as far as I go regarding it. Um, yeah, I think it's, experts in. it's really useful for demand. If you have peak demand at noon and the sun's yeah. out at noon, like, yeah, go for it. But I think that's where, that's where a lot of people end up spending money is demand charges yeah. when they uh, get taxed heavily for using a lot of energy in a short amount of time. Yeah. So, um, Anthony, it's come to that time in the, the my podcast where I like to put my guests on the spot and ask them a, a specific question. And I'm sure you've been listening to my podcast. So is there anything you can give back to the industry today um, as a takeaway to our listeners? Yeah, um, it's related to that point about educating people. I think that you can never really go wrong with educating people on what their options are, how things work. Um, I know you do that a lot with reducing energy consumption and, and that's the, that's why we're friends, I think, is because we have very similar values and we're aligned in the way that we want to make sure that people understand as much as they want to understand. Uh, we educate people. We have that sort of integrity that makes sure people understand they're getting the best thing that's for them mm -hmm. instead of pushing a product uh, that may be better for us as a company and not as good for them. Like that's not, that's not what I want to do. So. So I guess to summarize it is um, operate within your integrity, operate with the values that you hold close to your heart, and you can never really go wrong. That's brilliant. That's exactly my thoughts. And, in, you know, we talked about core values. One of my core values is profit with integrity. And if, as long as I know that I've done the right thing by my client and my customer and the organization, I'm comfortable with the integrity that I, I will put, you know, there's another saying that someone said to me once before that um, profit isn't a bad word, <laughs> you know, as, and as long as you've got integrity with it, as you can't go yeah. wrong. And that's I why mean, I like, yeah. and my, my, my training, I love training people and giving education to the industry. Um, I wish I could do more in a wider um, yeah. section, but this is why I do this. The podcast is because I bring experts in who've got that, technical uh, capability to give that learning and that's what this podcast is all about is giving education to other people around the world so anthony uh, it's great catching up with you um we we'll have a podcast dedicated to sport next time we'll have a more of a banter. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about the hammers uh in more detail so anthony thanks for coming along today um you and your family be safe in these times thank you thank you for the time today paul thank you Thank you for our special guest today. And thank you for our sponsors, B2B Energy, which can be found on at b2benergy.co.uk 
and clean energy revolution, which can also be found either through various different social media networks. Type in hashtag clean energy revolution. That leaves me with one more thing to say. Be safe.